City. It's your man, Big Pat, the voice of your Charlotte Hornets. And you're listening to the All Hornets Podcast Network, presented by Sports Illustrated. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. You're listening to Inside the Hive on the All Hornets Podcast Network. One podcast feed with multiple shows, making sure we cover the Charlotte Hornets from every angle. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star review on, on Spotify, subscribe to us on our YouTube channel. Chase, we went we went YouTube viral. We have over a thousand that views on one video on YouTube. I mean, people around the world are tuning in to the All Hornets Podcast. Not only in audio form, but visual form. They said we had a face for radio, James, but clearly we have faces for television as well. So clearly, so I, I never like you never know what's going to go viral. And then when something well, is not actually viral, by the way, I'm being sarcastic. Everyone is a thousand <laughs> people. I know. But like when something does kind of get traction, you then you're like, oh shit! I hope it was like a good stuff, right? <laughs> you know, you don't want to be a bit where you're like, oh, you got something wrong. Like you, you never know what it's going to be. So. Uh, yeah, that that was that was uh, good to see. So thank you if you're finding us from the from the YouTube channel and you're listening to the audio podcast, or if you're watching this on YouTube, we appreciate we appreciate the support. Um, look, today's episode, I'm not gonna lie. Um, normally, I will be sending case list of topics. We talk about what we're gonna talk about timelines. Today, I got nothing right. Um, I, I got confused. I thought the trade deadline was tomorrow, so the plan was not to even record today. And then I realized today that I am just apparently incorrect and it is in two days. So it didn't quite tell me how that happened. So I've not planned this. Me and Chase are going to freewheel, okay, on this one. Um, so this could get funky. I, we're get, like probably going to be talking about trade stuff, but there's, this could go anywhere today. So you'll probably know more by reading the description of the podcast than we know right now what we're actually going to talk about. So let's 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 get started. And the one thing I want to get started with Chase is there have been some reports that Gordon Hayward, if he's not traded, might not even seek a buyout. Uh, I think Mark Stein reported that the, the the Hornets, I'm told, have not ruled out trying to re-sign Gordon Hayward at season's end if no trade develops. And basically, it says it seems rather safe to rule out the possibility of a buyout. Um. That is not something I thought I was going to be reading a week ago. Uh, what is your reaction to one not buying out Gordon Hayward and two potentially re-signing Gordon Hayward? I feel like I've won, James. That's my 
reaction to this rumor. I remember like over the summer when we were talking about like trading him as an expiring that I said, like, if they can bring him back next offseason at the right price, Gordon Hayward in like a reduced bench role at a significantly reduced price tag is still a pretty useful player going forward for not only for the Hornets, but for any team in the league. And that's why he would have been a coveted asset on the buyout market, assuming that these rumors are true and that the Hornets aren't really looking to do that, which granted, I don't really blame them. Like say they get through the deadline without being able to trade Kyle Lowry. What is, what is the point in buying out Kyle Lowry and Gordon Hayward instead of just like letting them expire? And maybe if if you're going to have to buy out Lowry, which seems to be the case, it doesn't seem like there's any chance he's going to play for the team. Why not just keep Hayward for the stretch run and maybe get him for like 30 games and play some good basketball down the stretch or like have another veteran to on the court to play with the younger guys that has by all means been at least like an average NBA player or starter or high level role player since he's been with the Hornets, especially over the last couple of years, even though he's lost a step, he's still not a bad player. So I'm very happy to hear that that's like at least an option that's on the table rather than just buying him out and receiving nothing for it if you're not able to find a trade this year. I think he's still a useful basketball player, so they might as well squeeze whatever juice is left out of it. Yeah, look, I I don't have a problem not buying Gordon Hayward out. I think I said somewhere, it might have been in this podcast, that I just wouldn't buy Gordon Hayward out. Like, it would just hurt me too much to go see him be on a contender elsewhere after, you know, him missing basically three and a half years in Charlotte with injury. Like I, I would just not buy him out and say you're finishing the season here, mate. Like we, we just we've had it with the Marvin Williams, Michael Kagilchrist, uh, Nick Batum buyouts. We're not then buying out the person who we initially bought out and had to stretch, then sign that person. I'm just I'm drawing the line on the buyouts. Um, so that that doesn't like I would still like trade the guy. It wouldn't be like well we could trade him for something or we could get him for thirty games. Like you get a second round pick and some expiring salary, like, you just do it, right? You fire him into the sun in, in terms of the trade talks. What does confuse me is, like, re-signing Gordon Hayward. He'd be 34 years old. I, and I'm, I'm just saying, I'm just not going to believe it until I see it, right? In what world has ever a 34-year-old, like, good NBA player who's coming off a 30 million contract, then re-signed with their team, which is the worst team in the NBA, which is going absolutely nowhere, has no sniff of the playoffs, uh, is going basically through a youth movement, has then re-signed for them to like willingly come off the bench and make like barely any money. I, 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 that just never ever happens. Like he always goes to a new team or signs elsewhere. Um, it's possible that like Gordon Hayward's just said, "I'm settled here. My wife loves it. My kids, and I don't want to move." But that's just very unlike what we see in the NBA each year. So I'm just going to continue to put my head in the sand with this one and and imagine that, like, even though that might be the reporting, I just can't believe it happening. It would be so strange for Gordon Hayward to resign on, like, a two-year, $20 million contract. I think you underestimate how badly Gordon Hayward wants to ride out into the sunset of his career in the Queen City, maybe 2029, get himself a, a Gary Payton style ring with the, the LaMelo ball, Brandon Miller Hornets. When they win a championship, he can be the 15th man on a minimum and just get that ring as that last piece of his legacy. And then he can just, you know, wait four years and be voted into the hall of fame. No, that would be highly optimistic. Uh, but I mean, I, I definitely think it makes sense to at least give run the course and see if that's a possibility. Like he, that might be willing to do that. It's obviously a, maybe implausible or improbable scenario, but it seems like there is a chance. Like it always seemed to me like the buyout rumors were like more Hornets front office or like team perspective motivated than from Gordon Hayward's perspective, because there are quite a few teams that, you know, would be interested in signing him or at least would offer like some sort of role on a championship level team that aren't going to be able to sign him anyway, because he makes way too much money. And with the new rule in the CBA, the any team above the second tax apron isn't allowed to sign a player that makes more than the MLE on the buyout market, which obviously 31 million is a lot more than the MLE. I think it's like the Knicks, Heat, Celtics, Warriors, like lots of teams that could actually offer him a role are just not going to be able to sign him regardless. So, I mean, 
it makes sense if you're gonna keep him down the stretch of the season, does, like at least go into the offseason. Like, keep just keep him going. I, there I, and I, I, him. I, I think emotionally sense. it may not make sense, but uh, plot like rationally, I think I think it does to at least see if he's willing to take that sort of pay cut. Like I would, if Gordon Hayward is your MLE guy this summer, and the Hornets finally use it, and it's just on him like a two-year, what I think would probably be like twenty-eight million dollar contract or something like that, like with maybe a team option or player option or something like, I think that's perfectly acceptable. No, it's not acceptable. He doesn't play chase. How many players on the MLE are highly impactful players? When he plays, he is good. It's just you're, uh, you're taking that risk of him not playing. Whereas with other players, they may play more often, but they stink when they play at a, a higher rate when Gordon Hayward does like role players tend to be inconsistent. Gordon Hayward is probably going to be a role player down the stretch. I feel like he's more consistent than most of the guys you're going to get that are like six, eight shot creators from inside the arc that have like secondary playmaking and solid positional defense on wing, wings and fours. Like, I don't know. Like, I, he, I just, I just think his game fits like the basketball that, you know, a good team wants to play. And there aren't that many players I think that are going to be willing to come here for that type of price like right now like maybe down the stretch or down the line certainly but right now like he might be one of the better options so keep him open is all I'm saying I just I, <laughs> I'd i emotionally moved on yes yeah, so from that perspective on. I completely understand and from any fan that is like <clears throat> like white knuckling their steering wheel while they're listening to this driving to work or driving home I understand but I don't know. I just I feel like from a rational point of view, it's not a bad idea. Someone has to. Someone has to be the the foil. Reasonable, character. like oh, actually makes <laughs> sense if you think about it. Like this is such a chase thing to say. I've thought then, about it. That's all I'm gonna say. Like, I've I've just I've thought about it. I do a lot of thinking. God. <laughs> um, Gordon Hayward. I, the thing is, if he was like some incredible like mentor leader person, then I would actually like get it. You know, he's your Kevin Love type person, right? With Miami. But no one around the team has ever really talked about Gordon Hayward being a leader. Like the players, you don't hear, you never heard Gordon Hayward's name. And I just don't think people look up to him quite that way, apart from maybe Bryce McGowan's for his morning off-season workouts and for whatever reason that is set zapped Bryce McGowan's basketballing ability no one else works out with Gordon Hayward this summer nobody do not let Brandon Miller walk out work out with Gordon Hayward please um okay Gordon Hayward where 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 do you want to go next do you want to go trade do you want to go uh Hornets basketball um I'm I'm turning the page over to you here hmm I mean there have been a lot of rumors recently about you know, just not even Gordon Hayward and the buyout market or whether or not he's going to be traded, but kind of just anybody on the team. Should we just kind of touch on what remains from the the rumor mill over the last like couple days before the deadline? It is nice to hear the Hornets, I guess, more heavily featured than they usually are at this time of the year in, in the rumor mill and maybe in a more positive way or a more uh, better with a better outlook towards the future than than they usually are as opposed to trading for Brad Wanamaker or Montrez Harrell. Maybe we're going to make some significant changes here in the next couple of days, but where do you want to start? Well, I, let's let's actually look at the big picture. I'm curious to see what this Hornets fire sale next to team in totality, right? You saw Orlando rebuild uh, a few years ago, mid-season. I think they got two firsts for, was it two firsts for Vucevic and two firsts for Aaron Gordon? Or was it a first and a young player for Aaron Gordon? Like, you know, they... Was- they it was two firsts and Wendell Carter for Vucevic. Yeah. And for Aaron Gordon, I think it was Gary Harris and two firsts. I believe it was yeah, like there you go. maybe so there was like other smaller stuff, but that was like yeah. the, the gist of it. Which you look back at like four firsts and a good young player and like a good role playing guy. Like that's, that's a, a haul. that's a pretty good haul for a, a Orlando team at the time was really going nowhere, right? And it already feels like the Hornets are not going to get anything like that. I mean, if they get another first-round pick at the deadline, like that would probably be an accomplishment, it feels right now. And you've also got the Wizards, who are another team kind of similar to the Hornets. It sounds like they're open for business. Tyus Jones, Kyle Kuzma, um, other guys on there. And I'm just 
like everyone is going to react if they do, you know, make some moves. Everyone's like, you know, great. They've got all these assets now to move forward. And just want to be a little bit cautious. Like, okay, they've, they've done what they needed to do, but you still look like teams. The lucky thing that they have that other teams don't have is the mellow ball and running mill, right? You look at Detroit, they have Cade, okay. But like a team like Washington don't really have two players, even Bilal Koulibaly. I think he's been good this year, but it doesn't profile to be a, an offensive option, primary option like you know Lamelo and Running Miller could be. I'm just curious what what we kind of net here. Uh, it feels like it's going to be the first in the Terrier trade, and then like a combination of like two to four seconds, and maybe a, a youngish uh, player, role player, basically. And considering, I mean, but. The re, you know, there's a reason that we are what the record is. People don't, the players aren't very good, right? And that's why they're not giving up value there. I just, I'm curious to see what this thing is going to be in total. Yeah, that was kind of where I was at too. And you, you kind of said it right at the end there. Like the difference between what the Hornets are likely to get and what the Magic got in that traded deadline hall a couple of years ago is those players were good. Like Vooch was a multiple time all star at that point. Aaron Gordon was like basically a perennial borderline all-star at that point, was one of the better defensive players at his position in the league. The Hornets already traded what is their best asset at the deadline in Terry, and they got the one pick. So getting, you know, what, three firsts and a young player out of what they have left is is definitely unlikely. But if you're going to make like a serious like sell-all, like fire sale, everything goes and get rid of like basically everyone except for Miles Miller, Mark, maybe like Bryce McGowan's, Nick Smith, and like a couple of the other young guys at the end of the bench. I wouldn't be surprised if they get like two firsts and a young player. Like think of the players that have been rumored in the rumor mill and are like at least tangentially connected to the Hornets. It's like Quentin Grimes, like Killian Hayes, at least maybe not to the Hornets himself, but the Pistons and Hornets have had, you know, trade rumors bouncing back and forth over the last couple of weeks. None of these guys are like particularly appealing, but like that might be a good thing for the Hornets to cash in on right now. Like, I don't know if any team is going to trade for Quentin Grimes and give him nearly as many minutes or playing time or usage as what the Hornets are going to get right now. Like, at best, he'd be like an eighth or ninth man on like a good ish, like play in level team that probably wouldn't even play all that much. Like, if that's something that the Knicks are willing to do, like, is put him in a good situation or the Pistons with Killian Hayes or any young team with like a a younger player that's maybe a slightly depreciated asset. Like the Hornets, I think are probably in the best position to benefit from that as any other team right now, because none of the other like bad teams are selling and willing to seemingly willing to take on contracts and, you know, long expiring salary for picks and get rid of the, what they have now. Like it doesn't seem like Detroit's doing that. San Antonio's not doing that. Washington isn't doing that. Like the, the Hornets are really the only one. So. I think they have a chance, but as they always have, really. But at, at the theme of the deadline is they've come up short the last couple of years. So I wouldn't be surprised if it's more of a neutral return, like we, what we thought about the Terry deal as well. Yeah, and there's I think there's 10 teams that are forecast to be the second apron uh, in the summer, which that, that then means that you can't aggregate contracts uh, in a trade. You can't send money out in a trade deal. You can't take any back, any back, any more salary back in a deal, and uh, you also, like you mentioned, I think you can't sign a player on the buyout market if they earned over the mid-level exception. So that that's the new what like some are describing. It's not a hard cap, but it almost is because it takes away your flexibility so much. And I also think if you stay above that second apron for a certain number of years, you get mm-hmm. your first-round picks frozen that you can't trade them. Right. So yeah. there's a lot of teams who are lined up to be in that, who you think are going to be having to try and get out of that from the flexibility point of view. And it's not any surprise who those teams are. So that's one thing Memphis did with that Stephen Adams trade, uh, where they moved Stephen Adams for, I think it was a two or three second round pick. I think it was actually two second round picks. It was reported as three, but I think one of them was like top 55 protected, which is never, ever going to convey. So it's, it's basically two. Um, was to get out of that second apron. And there's still nine teams. It's the Bucks, the Lakers, the Celtics. Um, you know, all those kind of teams who were, were still there. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if any of those teams like make a deal where they actually get worse this year, which which feels really hard to do because the title race is wide open. But 
equally, there aren't going to be that many teams, like you say, you're looking to take on contracts. And the Charlotte Hornets are one of those teams that they can do right now. But I just wonder if those teams are more likely to do that in the offseason when they know they've not won this championship or, you know, the minute to sell anybody who's making salary to get below that threshold, they'd probably be losing a rotation player. And who wants to do that at the deadline when you're a contender? Yeah, you, you make a good point right there. And I'm just thinking of this right now. Like maybe that's setting up like draft night to be, or the draft, the days around draft night anyway, to be even more hectic in terms of trades than they already are. Because those second apron teams like, say they need to make some sort of move before their picks get frozen. Like you have to do that before the draft and before the new league year, which is only around a week after the draft, typically like maybe the Hornets, if it's not at the deadline, maybe they will still have opportunities to do stuff like that in the next, you know, three or four months here before like the new league year sets in and they really have to start making over this roster with by then what we assume is a a new general manager or new decision makers in some way, a new coach possibly. And, you know, usher in the new era of Hornets basketball, you know, a little bit later than maybe we expected originally, but there's still plenty of time for it to happen if it doesn't happen over the next couple of days. Mm. Uh, where should we bounce around to next? Um, we we kind of did the Mars Bridges thing already last week. I think there was another yep. report today that the Hornets have persuaded the Suns to include Josh Koji. Like, woohoo! Yeah. I mean, Josh Koji is like, He's actually like a defense-first player, which probably does fill some need, but he's expiring in the summer. And I can tell you there is no player at like a Josh Okoji level where you're not going to be a big salary player who is probably going to sign in Charlotte. That's probably not going to happen. Um, so I, I, I don't think there's too much more to touch in there since we last spoke. Um, uh, yeah, any, any other names you want to touch on here? PJ Washington got linked to Dallas again for like the third time, I think, in three years it feels yeah like that feels like it there's there's still some smoke there i don't know i mean it's, it's usually dallas or indiana i think is the other team that was sacramento they get listed sacramento. as well i think yeah yeah that's a yeah that's a good one yeah i mean i actually looking at my desktop right now out of the corner of my eye, i have a pj to dallas trade screenshotted and saved uh you want me to bounce it off you right now and yeah we can maybe talk ourselves through it all right this is actually more than just PJ here. So this is kind of a two birds with one stone. So PJ Washington and Cody Martin are traded to the Dallas Mavericks in exchange for Rashawn Holmes, Josh Green, Markeith Morris, and a second round pick via Miami in 2028. Markeith Morris could just be waived because you would be over the roster limit at that point. He makes $2 million. Probably wouldn't even have to, you know, uh, extend that over the next couple of years. You could just eat that $2 million right now and, be free of it by the summer. So do you think that's a that's a reasonable trade? I know the Josh Green and the second might be too much, but I feel like if it's PJ and Cody taking on the yeah. extra year of Rashawn Holmes, then you might be able to get Josh Green at least. The second might be a little too much, but also like PJ is the best player in that deal. And there's an argument to be made that healthy Cody Martin is the second best player in that deal also. You know, it's, it's probably... It's probably relatively fair value. I, I've never been a huge Josh Green guy, if I'm being honest. I'm not either, personally. Me neither. Yeah, and for me, I think a well, there's no point saying a healthy Code Martin because we might not ever get that like again, right? Right. Um. I, yeah, I I think that probably Josh Green is a better asset than Cody Martin. I think if, if you compared their like Cody's last good season, I think he's probably a more impactful player. Um. I think I'd maybe like not include Cody Martin and take out the second and just do the Rishon Holmes and Josh Green for PJ Washington. It's like you get Josh Green, you take on that extra bad year of bad salary from Rishon Holmes. Um, at least Green is like a cutter, a defender, a floor spacer. Those are, you know, he's small. He's like 6'4", six, 6'5", six, kind of wing, you know, but he's a, He's a role player. He's a role player that makes... He's kind of in the Quentin Grimes mold a little bit, actually. Um, so, yeah, I, I I don't... I can understand the world of that works. You're getting a younger player who's under cost-controlled contract who maybe has some potential. But for me, like, Josh Green is in the perfect situation in Dallas to succeed where there is no pressure on him to create at all. Um, he can shoot open jump shots and he can defend. And he's like... 
just kind of a meh player. You don't really feel it impacts the game as much. So I, I worry coming to somewhere like Charlotte where he's not going to get as many open shots. Um, he's going to have to be a bit more involved if he could be kind of over-asked to do, do a little bit too much. But it's it's probably not miles away. I mean, I've, I've played around with that same trade uh, structure myself. Yeah, that is actually a really good point you make about Josh Green, especially like now down the stretch of this year where LaMelo isn't healthy right now. Mark isn't healthy. We don't know when they're going to be back. Like it would maybe overextend him and make him look a little bit worse than he probably is. Like in a very similar way to like what happens to PJ Washington. A lot of the time, like yeah. his good nights are really good, but his bad nights are really bad. Uh, maybe the, I have a feeling that the same type of thing would probably happen to Josh green here down the stretch because like trade deadline asset, like you come in, you're right now you're, you know, the young guy that the team gets you're, signed on a I think a four-year extension which I think which is actually a one of the poison pill extensions so you do have to match much higher salary like going out uh than you would just based on his like per year salary as an individual it's like Isaiah Stewart I think you have to add like an extra 50 percent uh outgoing salary to match it with the poison pill restriction but either way like he signed long-term athletic cutter floor spacer transition guy like you would think that he would come in and be like, all right, ready to go. Like I'm going to prove myself. And in these next 30 games, like I'm going to show the front office that I'm a guy that's going to be here for a while. And that may not, you know, end particularly well, given that he doesn't seem to be like a super talented player or anything more than like a seventh or eighth man. So I think you might be right on that one. Yeah. But look, Dallas seemed to keep coming up in conversations for PD Washington. I, I, Part of me still wonders if this is something that like his PJ's camp is putting out a little bit uh, because he wants to end up in Dallas because that's where he's from. And if he's trying to almost talk that into existence, that, that was also something that crossed my mind because it, like it's literally come up now in the summer, the trade deadline before last, even before then, I think it was mentioned. Um, so there's, uh, yeah, I just wonder exactly where that's coming from. Okay, where where are we going to bounce around? Let's let's touch on Brandon Miller, um, because mm. he's in the middle of a pretty incredible run. He's coming off the thirty five point game at when we were recording this. Um, he's been the lone bright spot recently, and we talked early in the season saying we we'd like to see that usage go up a little bit more, like him to be a little bit more aggressive, and. Whatever this version of Brandon Miller is, I feel like this is the right amount. Like he's doing a lot, but he looks completely under control. He's getting to his spots. He's not forcing plays too often. Um, he's just playing incredible basketball right now on the offensive end. His three point shot, me, some of the deep makes he made in that last game. I mean, uh, just playing with so much confidence in the midst of like everything going wrong around him. And he's still managing to find success. I just have a lot of admiration for that kid. He's he's his mentality has impressed me. The fact that you know, as a 21 year old rookie, number two draft pick, he has all the reason in the world to come in and just kind of like chuck up shots, explore you know the spacing and newfound talent that he has around him as an NBA player compared to last year at Alabama, but really. What he did is he came in and he seems intent on like setting an example. Like that clip that went viral the other night of him telling his entire team to get back on defense because they nearly gave up a wide open layup and he had to sprint down the court after being the one to make a layup just to be able yeah. to save it. Like that is the type of player that he has made himself like out to be already, like in the first half of his rookie season on top of being a guy that is going to shoot 39% on seven threes a game is more than capable at finding his own shot and getting to his own spots in the mid range using a combination of length, athleticism, ball handling, pace, like patience. He's just so good with the ball in his hands at all three levels right now. He finishes efficiently, makes plays for others. He's just willing to do whatever he needs to do in a given moment to make the team better. And granted, it hasn't, you know, made the team better in the sense that they're winning games. But, like, the best basketball that the Hornets play directly coincides with when Brandon Miller is on the court. For that 31 and a half minutes a game or whatever it's been over the last 15 games when he won Eastern Conference Rookie of the Month, 
that is when the Hornets are at their best is, is when he is on the court. And it's, it's pretty remarkable that that's the case so far. There are a lot of good rookies in this class, like what may be like a historically good rookie class, but there are very few guys that their team are at their best when they're playing. And you, you can definitely say that about him. Yeah, on the floor, the Hornets are uh, plus 5.4 point differential with Brandon Miller on the floor. Like for a rookie to have that is super impressive. Give you an idea, like Nick Smith is minus 8.8. Nathan Mentzer is minus 19.1. That's a big number. (laughs) I've not seen many on-offs in near the 20, minus 20 figure. Um, Yeah. Oh my God, he's up to 223 minutes on the season too. That is... Crazy. That is a large sample size to to be that much it of a is. negative. So I'm sorry, Nathan Men. So this is that's not necessary to, to bring that up in that <laughs> way. But goodness gracious. Um, I think I wonder how many people, if you did the draft now, straw poll, knowing everything we know now, how many people would have Scoot Henderson had Brandon Miller? Like if the if we say like all the people around the draft time, the online draft analysts, the ESPN people, the Sam Vecinis, the no ceilings, like me and you, what percentage of those do you think would still have Scoot ranked ahead of Brendan Miller? I'd say probably, I'll go 60%. Like I think the slight majority would probably stand in it because especially over the last couple months, Scoot's been pretty good. It was mm-hmm. it, over the, the start of the year, like it was very clear that Brandon Miller was going to be more of an NBA ready player and adapt to the pro game at a much quicker rate, which tends to happen for wings as opposed to point guards. But Scoot's been pretty good over the last like couple months. The three point shots coming around, the explosiveness is obviously there. He's a pretty good playmaker. The d- defense is there as well. I, I don't, I, I, me personally, I would still have Scoot second, uh, where I would probably differ. Is I had my top five was Wemby, Scoot, Amen Thompson, Cam Whitmore, Brandon Miller. I would maybe move Amen Thompson to five and bump Whitmore and Miller up to three and four, respectively. Like I, I wait, still Cam wait, Whitmore wait. has been incredible to me. Like, but wait, I would you're gonna have Cam one. Whitmore ahead of Brandon Miller in your redraft right now? Probably. Like I would. Yes. I mean, not like a redraft in the sense of like. I would select him for an NBA team right now, but on my like personal big board, yeah, I, I probably would still have him up there. The flashes from Whitmore have been absolutely insane. He hasn't played no. nearly as much, and their team is like he doesn't impact winning, let's say, in the same way that Brandon Miller does. But he's he's very good. He, he's like he's gotten Brandon Miller hasn't had to play in the G League, and Cam Whitmore started the year in the G League. So that's the perspective that we can have to to add to that <laughs> analysis, but. I would I would still stick with Cam, yeah. Brandon Miller has been awesome though. That, that like I said, this has been like a historically good rookie class. Like this there might some, be like this is some virtue 10... signaling from you. You're like, oh, Brandon Miller's been so good, but I still have Scoot Henderson and Cam Whitmore ahead of him. Like, come it's on, true. it's Get true. On board, I, he Chase. has been good. I, all right, so I'm I'm pulling. What, I, oh, what I've, does I've Brandon Miller need to do to convince you right here? See, He's I'm pulling up my big board right now. Playing with Nathan Mensa, JT yeah, Thor, and Leaky right. Black. Yeah, I mean, we did just bring up that that awfully big number for for Nathan Mensa. And and by the way, as we're recording this at uh, five thirty seven on Monday, so before the game, you're talking about NBA starting small forward Leaky Black. So be careful when when you throw that name around with that tone, because you're talking about an NBA starter right there. So clearly, wow. it's not that it's not that big of a of a step down. But yeah, I mean, obviously we haven't watched this game, but it seems like. Brandon Miller is going to be doing a ton of ball handling and then Leaky is starting. So, If I have told you at the cool. start of the year that there's an injury crisis and Leaky Black is going to be starting over the following list of players. Bryce McGowans, Stop. James Bucknight, JT Thor, uh, Nick Smith Jr. And out of all those, Leaky Black is going to be the one who's starting. Uh, what would you have said? That's Speech. it. That was it right there. It was just probably nothing. I, I, I really, I really, it is why, like, Leaky has been very good. Like, for a two way player that went undrafted and really didn't show, like, all that much in Summer League or even in the G League before they started getting NBA minutes, Leaky's adjusted very well and has actually been 
a like a what you would call a winning player, I guess, for, for whatever this roster and a team that rarely wins games can be. Like Leakey's probably one of those guys. He is not an NBA starter. They like they, that is a little bit wild to me that he's starting over McGowan's, Nick Smith, really any player that you, that you just listed. Like I just wouldn't. I, he's that's never going to be his role. Like he's never going to be a starter. Like why not just continue bringing him off the bench, playing like sixteen to you know maybe like twenty minutes a game. Like what you're going to get out of him, even in an idealized version of Leaky Black. Like down the line who is already like 25 years old i think so it's not the biggest surprise that he is athletically and you know comfort he's comfortable playing in that lead in the pros with the athleticism and the spacing because you know he's in his athletic prime himself but i, yeah. I guess it's about trying to balance out the offense defense uh pj yeah, washington's due to come off the bench and if you'd started pj washington tonight at the four miles bridges at the three then your bench unit is what would it be here? Nick Smith Jr., Leaky Black, uh, Nathan Mensah, JT Thor. Like, I guess maybe that's what they're trying to do is just balance out the units because you've got more offensive options uh, in there. But yeah, in interesting. I I tweeted last night and I got a bunch of pushback from people calling me a clown about uh, Nick Smith Jr., who is currently of players with over 400 minutes played has the worst rim percentage mm -hmm. in the NBA at 38%. Wow, that's the worst in the NBA. Of, 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 is of that, I, I, didn't, I didn't even see that tweet. I had seen, obviously, that his percentiles yeah. were bad on cleaning the glass. It's the worst in the league. Of players who played more than 400 minutes in the NBA. That's a, that's a good amount. It's the worst in the league. Okay. Wow. Um, now... All I got was an avalanche of, well, it's fine. Like, he'll work on it. Like, don't worry about it. Like, why, why are you having a go at the guy? He'll be in the gym this summer. Once he gets stronger, it'll be fine. Um, so you, you, can't, you can't just say it's the, the person who's the worst at the NBA is like, well, he's going to improve. It's like, yeah, he might improve. He might even improve all the way to 45%. It's still, it's still a disaster. Like, you know, there's a few times in the, in the game last night against the Pacers, where he just didn't even look at the rim. There was like a two-on-one fast break, and he passed it up to, I think it was like Nick Richards, who didn't even want the ball on the fast break. And that was because Nick had got blocked at the rim or like missed a layup earlier in the game. And um, like we, we all know that his three-point shooting is incredible, like 48% it was last time I looked. Um, and it just looks like it's going in every time he gets an open shot. But... If you are that one-dimensional, like we've seen great shooters in the league before, like who you, especially when you're six-four and skinny and not a great defender, like Halliburton had his way with Nick Smith Jr. last night several times. Um, you know he's not a great passer of the ball. He isn't a great defender, and he can't attack the rim at all. He he just has to add to like one of those things. Like there has to be progress in one of those areas. That's where it has to be. But the, the shooting is incredible. Like, I have nothing but great things to say about the, the shooting in Nick Smith Jr. But there is a, a limit on the player if he if he can't. He needs to at least be passable at the rim. And right now he's not. You know who we said basically every single thing that you just said? You know who we said that about for a couple of years that we just traded away? And now it seems like he might be back, but just a little bit taller with his number changed from four to eight. No, I'm I'm not with you. I'm not on the way. Devontae Graham. Devontae Graham. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Consistently right, yeah. one of the worst finishers inside the arc in the league, was not athletic enough to get all the way to the rim, was basically only like a an above-average passer out of a ball screen or with a guy rolling to the rim so he can yeah. get some sort of advantage and kick it out or he was a better passer, bot it up or whatever. Well, yes, Devontae was definitely a better passer. Nick, I would say, has the advantage – in size in general and probably like defense and energy and overall like hustle play and stuff like that. But uh, Devante clearly like that was what got him in that $44 million contract. Granted yeah. it, he doesn't play anymore really for the Spurs, but he was an elite shooter from deep range for like three years in the NBA. Like he was a like near 40% pull-up guy from, an extremely high volume of like difficult deep range shots. That's a hard thing to do. Nick Smith seems like he might be able to do something very similar. Maybe not as much like 
off the dribble from above the break, but definitely as like an off ball guy that can relocate, he can, you know, up fake out of a closeout and sidestep or step back and hit all sorts of like touch shots from the elbow and like leaners and runners on this going down the side of the lane and stuff, but just not going to quite be able to get all the way to the rim. And when he does, he's not going to finish very well there at all because he's too skinny. He's not tall and he's not explosive. Well, Devonta Graham in his three years in Charlotte shot 51%, 48%, and 41% at the rim. So blue blue Nick Smith's numbers out, out the wall. Yeah, right. That's actually a lot better than I thought. His <laughs> his overall two-point percent numbers, I think, were under 40%. But at the rim specifically, that's a lot better than yeah. what I had remembered them being. Yeah. Again, another question. Why does he not play for the Spurs? What are they doing? They need more spacing. Put him in the game. Rent over. Um, which I'm just going to break Charlotte Hornets talk briefly here. I'm going to ask you to give me a player who has not been mentioned in one single trade talk anywhere by anyone, but mm. who will be moved. There's, there's always like a guy somewhere in the NBA where the guy gets traded. You're like, Oh, that's a, that's a name, right? Uh, that, that is just come out of absolutely nowhere and been moved. Um, give give me a give me someone. Um, who do you think it'll be? Hmm. I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not and, uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. That is actually really tough. That is a good one. Oh, all right. So I'll go with a, a good team here that's I think is likely to make a move. And this player's salary is pretty conducive to being able to do that. I think there's a reasonable chance Peyton Pritchard might get traded. Backup oh, point guard, like okay. relatively small, like has his certainly has his pluses on offense, but we saw in that Warrior series, he's not quite like defensively capable of playing when a team has an you know an all-star guard and then a lineup surrounding him of lengthy wings and bigs that are good at defense. Maybe they look to upgrade that spot into like a bigger player that's a little bit better playmaker. So they don't kind of have like a two guard on offense and a one on defense where you can just kind of have somebody run the point and defend the point of attack uh on both ends. But yeah, maybe but even then like <clears throat> that would be kind of a long shot, I feel like just because they're like the Celtics are good. And he's in their rotation. Yeah. So I feel like teams typically don't mess with that kind of stuff, like more on the periphery for guys like that. Hmm. Maybe Zeke Naji for Denver. Like if they moved him, could they not package him with a pick and get like a really good like wing or a backup center or something? They could definitely get someone more, more proven than Zeke Naji. I mean, they've right. seen him yeah. more than anyone else, right? But yeah. Yeah. Um, what about you? Do you I, have anybody on your mind? I have someone. Um, Pat Connaughton for the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, ah, that's a good one. That's a good one. He makes, three a, he more makes years. Good money for it. Yeah, at 9.4 million. The Bucks are above that second apron. I think they will be looking for... I just don't... You can stay above the second apron if it makes sense. I don't think it makes sense if it's Pat Connaughton. Like, he's had some injury issues. He's not been the same player this year. He's not even in their rotation every single night. They have a guy in Marjon Beauchamp who's basically averaging the same number, like same averages as Pat Connaughton and kind of plays a similar role. They have Malik Beasley. Um, even Andre Jackson Jr., who's coming off the bench, can play some kind of like different role, but can play the same position. So again, like a guy I've not heard anywhere, but it would not surprise me if the Bucks are just like, we got to move off 
Pat Connaughton just to get under under the tax. So that's that's a guy that I'm gonna I'm gonna throw out there. And like if if one of those guys comes through, we'll uh, do a little victory lap next week. All right, there we go. We've got our our predictions on record here. Um, yeah. I, I've, oh, I've been meaning to ask you this, James. You, uh, you yeah. go, you go ahead, because mine's just a random question. No, no, you you fine, you fine. All right. So while we were on the you know not necessarily Hornets centric talk, I just wanted your thoughts on the the All Star reserves. It was very contentious voting this year, and it seems like there were a lot of you know quote unquote snubs that people are maybe more angry about than usual, or not, maybe not more angry about, but like players that were more deserving of it that got left off. Like Sabonis not being an all-star is like pretty wild. Or a team as good as the Kings, just not having one in general is pretty wild to me. Like I, Carl Towns making it over Gobert, I thought was interesting. Uh, the the East guards that made it at the end, I thought was pretty interesting as well. What did you think, James? Um, I think I'm not as tuned in to the some of the like the standard criteria that a lot of people use so like the whole remember when the hawks had four all-stars because of their record like yes uh, yeah it was like it was Jeff Teague, al horford kyle korver and paul Millsap, right yeah yeah that was me, awesome. that's just ridiculous like is it this isn't an, like whoever has the most wins you get into an all-star game that's not how it works like it's about the star players. So for me, like, it, I don't care how many wins a team has. I don't think you should punish players who could be all stars on bad teams because I, I think they can still be clearly better than guys who are fourth options playing next to, I don't know, all star players. Like, that is just a much easier situation. So I'm a little bit like that. Um, the Kings not having anyone. I mean, I think Darren Fox would have been the guy who I would have thought, even ahead of Sabonis. I mean, He's been fantastic this season, um, and I think he made All-NBA last year. But I only really pay attention to the All-Star stuff when like, the Hornets have some rooting interest. Um, I-, I like that they've not expanded the rosters to just make more spaces. In the modern NBA, it's easier to score, so there's going to be more people with cases. But I- what I think will happen is when the NBA expands, I think at that point they will use that as an excuse to expand the All-Star roster. And I think you'll start having 15 All-Stars per conference instead of 12. And I think that's what will happen. And there'll still be the exact same debates, right? Because you're just moving the borderline and there's always going to be close calls. But I'm, I'm pretty sure that's what will happen. That is a very good theory. I like that a lot. That actually makes a lot of sense to me because, I mean, if you do it right now, what, who basically who would have gotten in is like, Maybe like Kristaps Porzingis, Derek White, De'Aaron Fox, and then like, I don't know, like there isn't even really anybody after that that you would say is like a surefire, like this guy should be an all-star. And even like Porzingis and White is just because the Celtics have the best record in the league. Like the only player I think that has like a legitimate gripe is one of Sabonis or De'Aaron Fox with the Kings being as good as they are and the Wolves getting two all-stars, like. That, I think, is probably the one argument you could make. But, like, other than that, everybody that got in, like, who it's, it's more of, like, who are you going to take out rather than who are you going to add? Because you can't just add someone to the All-Star team because there's only 12 players. But, yeah, I mean, like you said, I think we're very, very close to the All-Star teams being expanded, much like how we wanted the All-NBA teams to be positionless for years and then we just got it last year. I think we're pretty close to roster yeah. expansion in the All-Star game as well. Uh, last thing before we get out of here, Stephen Adams' trade happened since we last spoke. Um, we mentioned that earlier. Uh, he has got a 12.6 million contract for this year. He's out for the season. He then has 12.6 million for next year, and then is an unrestricted free agent in 2025. Um, we look. We talked a lot about toughness, leadership, rebounding as things this team needs. This is already a lost season. Would you have? been interested in putting together a more competitive trade offer than the Houston Rockets did for Steven Adams to bring him in as a physical leader with question marks around Mark Williams' health, some toughness for the amount of ball, setting screens. Is that a deal that you think you would have liked to have made, the one that Houston made, or are you kind of happy with Charlotte not being involved in that one? I mean, I wouldn't say I'm upset that they weren't involved in it. 
but I definitely would have liked to make that deal. Like if it were something that was on the table for the Hornets, like if the Hornets could have given up Kyle Lowry in two seconds or whatever, it would, would have been for Steven Adams. I totally would have done that. Like I, I just adding that toughness, physicality, veteran presence to the center lineup gives you the freedom to move on from Nick Richards. Not even necessarily now, but over the summer, like one of the few players that's a positive trade asset for you right now, probably. And then you can bring in Steven Adams, who's coming off of an injury, granted, but his playing style was never really like conducive to being like explosive or anything like that. As long as he can still beat and bang on the interior, he's going to be the same Steven Adams that he was over the last 10 years, basically. Like, and Steven Adams, I think, is one of the underrated, like, he seems old, but he's actually young players in the league. Like, he just turned 30 last year. Like, he's not even, I don't even think he'll be 31 by the time the season opens. So, like, as long as you like are having him for this one year, like you're getting a pretty good like year out of him, like in terms of his prime years athletically and all that. So I totally would have, would have been into that. Um, but I mean, yeah. I'm not, I'm not, you know, upset that the Hornets missed out on it or anything. This is kind of one of those deals that if you had your new front office in place, they could have maybe made. And this is yeah, where I just don't think Mitch Kupchak has the license to go out and start spending assets at this point. He is in sell mode, not buy mode. But when that is the case, you miss out on potential opportunities. Um, So this is one of the drawbacks, I think, of maybe Charlotte's approach to the deadline. But um, yeah, I I think it would have made a lot of sense. Like if you're, unless you're like committed to being completely bad next year, like then, but, but having someone like that on this team uh, he would have helped in a ton of ways defensively, leadership point of view, even on offense, giving you offensive rebounding. He's a great screen setter. You could have probably extended him off that 12.6 figure as well, quite easily um, for the next, you know, and he could turn into a backup role if Mark Williams does come back healthy or if he goes down a little bit. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, I was a little bit of a shame to miss out on it. it it's one of those I went, huh, I wonder if. Charlotte explored that at all, but I think it's probably unlikely due to the situation. All right, Chase. Um, next week, when we'll be speaking, we'll uh, trade deadline with paths. We'll be knowing exactly who who is going to be back in this Hornets team heading into the summer. So we'll we'll have something uh, the night of the trade deadline on Thursday evening. It'll be going live pretty shortly after. We're not sure who's going to be joining, uh, but we'll we'll have something later in the week. So thanks for listening. See you, everybody.